The whole premise is that sales is everywhere and we are all salespeople. It doesn't need to be put in that box over there. And the the unfortunate thing is by not acknowledging it as a core life skill, we resent things that are happening around us that we feel powerless to or we don't understand it. But if you understand that we're all here communicating, we're all here selling and exchanging value, you can embrace it, learn it and do it effectively. Hello and welcome to The Daily Helping with Dr. Richard Schuster. Food for the brain, knowledge from the experts, tools to win at life. I'm your host, Dr. Richard. Whoever you are, wherever you're from, and whatever you do, this is the show that is going to help you become the best version of yourself. Each episode, you will hear from some of the most amazing, talented, and successful people on the planet who followed their passions and strive to help others. Join our movement to get a million people each day to commit acts of kindness for others. Together, we're going to make the world a better place. Are you ready? Because it's time for your Daily Helping. Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Daily Helping Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Richard, and we have an awesome guest to share with you today. Jason Mark Campbell is the author of Selling with Love, Earn with Integrity and Expand Your Impact. He's on a mission to inspire small business owners with sales reluctance to embrace it as a beautiful activity that transforms lives. As the host of Selling with Love podcast, he's interviewed over 300 people and he's reached millions of people in the process. He's a public speaker. He's shared the stage with the likes of Gary Vee, Jason Silva, Vishen Lakiani, Lisa Nichols, and more. He's spoken at events hosted by HubSpot, Inc. Magazine, and AFEST. His mission is all about teaching companies to care more. There's so much more we can talk about. I'm really excited to hear, Jason. Welcome to The Daily Helping. Dr. Richard, everybody listening, thank you so much for having me. Excited to share as well. Yeah, so there's so many things we could talk about. And of course, we're going to dive into your book in a bit. But people who listen to this show know that I love to peel back the layers of the onions. Let's jump in the Jason time machine and go back to what puts you on the mission you're on today. Yeah, well, usually there's going to be a light and a dark side to every story, right? And I like to paint the light side where, you know, having some sort of why whenever you're building a business or, you know, writing a book, you got to have a pretty strong reason why you want to put your stick in the ground, create a piece of literature, writing, because writing a book is not an easy thing. So you have to have some kind of motivation. And to me, uh, there's this exercise I was able to do a few years ago. And it was a very interesting one where you set goals in different categories. And one of those categories were the contributions you want to make. And I had a very interesting line there that I'd put down, which was to see a world without douchebag marketers and salespeople. <laughs> and so out of all the things I wanted, like the, the, the humanitarian goals that I see with the, you know, the United Nations, to me, one of the biggest contributions was I'd love to see a world where people don't get manipulated by snake oil salespeople, that marketers that take advantage of people. The world doesn't need this. We should be out there solving real problems, helping each other out and creating value and making an impact. And so this is nice. This is how I ended up writing the book. But of course, why would I choose that out of every goal? Well, the, the origin story, you could say, is on the dark side, which is I found myself, you know, when I was very young, to be on the receiving end of one of these scams. 
And I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do in my career. And there was an opportunity that was presented to me to learn how to invest in real estate and become a millionaire in the process. And of course, me being a rose-colored, goggled, uh, young 20s man, hungry, ambitious, ready to work hard, promise of millions, sign me up. So I get together with my best friends and uh, this mentor makes us visit a bunch of properties and brings a cousin along. And I'll, I'll keep the story short because this, this cousin basically was going to fund every deal we were going to buy. And we were like, this is amazing. We found a person to invest on the deals and uh, they're making a ton of promises. They're going to bring buyers. We're very excited. So then we go into a room. They're like, great, record a testimonial about your experience. And the moment that was recorded, that cousin disappeared. Mm -hmm. Then we started realizing that what we had been told was quite sketchy and not really the proper way of transacting. All the actors and players involved had some shade on them. And we just realized like, wow, we got to fix this. So I found it very unfortunate. Fortunately, though, because of that, it kind of put the blueprint around me saying, I don't want anybody else to go through this experience, which led to a depression caused by stress, having to get medicated for a little while, then getting back on my feet, but luckily fixing everything in the process. And boy, if I was going through mentorship, I'd have to say I definitely learned more than I ever have in my life. So there was a silver lining, but I don't think you need to go through that much crap to learn something. But it definitely left an imprint, which I'm hoping that through the work I do on my podcast, through the teachings that I make, through the book that I wrote, I get to inspire people to choose a better way of selling. And you know, this, this kind of dovetails something you and I spoke about briefly before we hit the record button this morning is that, you know, out of adversity, you know, you have two choices, right? You could either get, get mad at the world or you could, you know, find a way to help people so that. You know, this doesn't happen to you or it doesn't happen to anybody else. So I love, hey, listen, if, if you get rid of, of douchebag marketers, you should get a Nobel Prize because, uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're everywhere. And so I, I love your mission. I love what you're doing. And, and I have to believe, too, that, you know, the, because there's a lot of people listening to this saying, well, you know, I don't, I'm not a salesperson. So I, I don't know that this applies. But I, I imagine that you feel as though, you know, the things that you're bringing to the world are applicable kind of in all settings. Yeah. Well, I mean, sales actually is interesting. It's often put in that little box of things that are not associated with me. Sales are over there. It's those people. It's that used car salesman or there's caricatures I've seen on the Wolf of Wall Street or just Wall Street if you're more old school uh, or mad men. And it's this, you know, double glaze slinging, you know, guys that are not caring for who they sell to and they're just trying to make money and earn a commission. And what's unfortunate is that, well, you will see this as a character for a salesperson because that's usually an entertaining show. So watching The Wolf of Wall Street, entertaining, but is it a role model for sales? Not necessarily. And so by not realizing that there's a difference between who should our role models be and what's entertaining on media, if we think this is what sales is, of course, you don't want to be associated with it. So people who are engineers, people who are managers, people that are in HR, they're like sales. Yeah, we we don't like salespeople. And you know, sales, they're a different department. They're over there. We're not like that. But what I do is I kind of peel it back and I say, hey, if you want to get a job, what do you think an interview is? It's, it's actually a sales pres presentation. So there's a sales process there. If you want to get a promotion within your work, it's going to require a skill, and that's sales. If you are trying to find people that come and work into your organization, that's going to be a sales process too. 
you're trying to motivate a team to get aligned behind a goal and work hard, also sales. So in a business application, I see sales, I, I give it a very broad definition. And you know, I've worked for quite a while for an organization that was about personal growth development. So yes, I will use the term energy in this definition, which is selling is nothing more than an energy exchange between conscious beings. And when you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, that's what selling with love is all about. And this is everywhere in the business world, but even in our personal lives, for anybody who wants to get into relationships, a sales process will be required. And for those who have kids and you need those kids to get in line and to do the right thing, you will learn that sales is a powerful tool to get people to comply and understand that you're out there to give them so much more value than what they are expecting in return. So anyways, the, the whole premise is that sales is everywhere and we are all salespeople. It doesn't need to be put in that box over there. And the, the unfortunate thing is by not acknowledging it as a core life skill, we resent things that are happening around us that we feel powerless to, or we don't understand it. But if you understand that we're all here communicating, we're all here selling and exchanging value, you can embrace it, learn it, and do it effectively. You know, it's so fascinating, Jason. I've never heard anybody refer to sales as a core life skill. You know, when we think about our core life skills, we talk about, you know, treating people with respect and, you know, kindness and love and responsibility Sales is a core life skill. I love it because you're right. You know, as you were talking, I, I was thinking about, well, how do you get your kids to do homework, right? You're selling them on the idea that if they do X, they might get Y or, or whatnot. So I love this. And, and so you've beautifully set the stage to talk a bit about your book. Um, I'm curious, as you were doing the research for your book, because your book came out, you know, and I imagine you were doing your research during, you know, COVID. And the business world has changed a lot. The whole world has changed a lot. Uh, what were some of the interesting things, the unexpected things that you discovered uh, when you know compiling the research for this book? Yeah, well, when I first started doing it, there were, I actually started with talking about three loves in selling. And it was through the research that I started to uh, lay it out a little more detail where I actually ended up with five loves. Because one of the things I discovered is there's a huge tendency for people that are entrepreneurs to actually first fall in love with the product. All right. They find the product so amazing. They're so in love with it. But there's a limitation that happens whenever you see that the product is the first love is that you'll keep pushing this product. You'll be thinking that this is the holy grail of all solutions but you're not actually focused on solving the problem for the right people. And so one of the biggest things that were developed even for, because it was, it needed to be explicit so that people understood that the first loves you should have is actually the impact that you make beyond the product. The product can be replaced. You know, if you're so attached that you have the best in the industry, and I'll poke on an old example, but if I have the best of the the best in the industry carriages, you know, those things that get pulled by horses, right? I have the best ones in the world and this is the one product. I'm so in love with it. And you just keep optimizing that horse carriage until you realize that, hey, nobody's riding these carriages. They've this automobile thing that came out by Ford. And now that's what people are switching to because they're not trying to buy a carriage. They're trying to go places in an efficient way. And the vehicle came out and kind of changed that. 
And so oftentimes, even especially in the world of technology, people could be like, wow, I have this amazing app that can do all this crazy, amazing things. But you have to look at what's the impact it's going to do for the individual or the business that you sell to. So this was one of the key things I wanted to reinforce, which I know for you, uh, Richard, you also talk a lot about the impact and the why needs to come first. This is really the why of selling. And I think that's one of the foundations people really need to start with. And once you have that, it still doesn't go to the product yet. It actually goes to the people next, the client, the buyers. That's the second love in selling. And as such, when you understand that you want to make a difference and you find out specifically who you want to make that difference to and love the client, I'm not saying go start romantic relationships with the people <laughs> that you serve. What I'm saying is, you know, uh, let, let's talk about, you know, uh, um, spouses that are arguing. There's usually a point where one person will say, ah, you just don't understand me. And this is what I call the definition of love for a client is actually understanding them. That's how you show compassion. So who are they? How is this problem affecting them? How specific are you? So I really lead people down this path to get so specific and so understanding of who they serve so that the product they create actually will make the difference they're looking to see. Hey guys, Dr. Richard here. For the past seven years, I've been privileged to bring you incredible guests who are changing the world and can help you become the best version of yourself. I'm really excited to share with you a new quiz that I created based on my clinical training that will curate for you a custom list of my top episodes and actionable strategies to help you wherever you are on your journey. All you need to do is go to drrichardschuster.com to take it, and it's 100% free. You'll be taking the next step on the journey to unlocking the power of you. And I can't wait to see where you'll go. I love that. So let's keep, I, I love the five loves. So let's keep rolling through those. Uh, you know. Yeah. Well, I, I just gave you the holy trinity of love when it comes to selling, which is your impact comes first. Loving the client comes second, and then loving the product. And what I, it, what I found, you know, when I was doing the research and I was writing this book, is that there seems to be this anomaly, and um, this is the type of people that seem to be so effective at sales, but they are ruthless and they don't care. They don't take responsibility for the sales they make. And this is a dangerous place that I wanted to understand what was going on here. And what I found is that there's some people that can love the process of selling. This is the next of the loves. But the problem is if you love the process of selling, but you don't care about the impact, you don't care about the client, and you don't care about the product, you can become a very powerful and dangerous person. Sales is extremely powerful. It's like decoding a language of influence. And so if all you're obsessed about is the process of selling without taking the responsibility, not only is that the source of so much of the pain that we see in the way that people get ripped off, scammed, unfair value exchanges, manipulative tactics, and you know unethical practices, corruption, all stems from understanding that you feel like you can get away with it. And the incentive is more for yourself than what you're actually trying to do as a result of your sales process. That's the love the process part. And there's there's this growth stage that people go through. And I, I have to admit, Dr. Richard, like when I was in my early 20s, I made sales that I'm not proud of. Like I've had things that I've sold. And in hindsight, I was like, should I have sold it? 
but I got a high, I got a rush from closing a dopamine hit. You could even say when you close a sale and it's, it's a, it's a very addictive thing. And it's also something that, um, you know, at a young age, you're much more impressionable. The culture can influence you a lot more and you have to grow out of it or become aware of it. So you don't spend any time there. And this is something I've been trying to encourage with the process of writing my book is how do I get people to skip that part or at least be aware that it comes with consequences too. You know, you've seen what mental health state look like for people that you would consider hardcore salespeople are often associated with ups and downs and emotions, uh, substance abuse, uh, addictive behaviors are, are usually a correlation because like I said earlier, there's an energy exchange. And if you're selling from this energy, which is still from a fear-based perspective, if you ask me, there's still going to be something that you're going to hold on and you'll numb yourself to the reality of every sale. And that's why these distractions become appealing. It's a, I know it's, it's a, a bit of a dark turn. <laughs> it, it is, but it's it's interesting too because you know I I got my start in IT sales. That was my first job out of college, and I remember my supervisor saying to me that salespeople are hired to have to be fired. They're hired to go out there, utilize their list of contacts, and once they've used up their contacts and you churn them through, you fire them, and you bring in a new salesperson. And that was a indicator to me that this was an industry I didn't want to be in or a career I didn't mm. want to be in. And, and so it's, it's, you know, you talked about the mental health piece. You know, there is a, there is a culture amongst sales that it is, you're an assassin, right? You're a hired gun, but then there's, there's a cost for that. And uh, so I, I do like that, that you speak of that because I think not enough light is shown on that at all. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it, it, I don't think by choice, we want to be the people that are taking it. I think we all strive to do the best and be the good people in everything that we do. But, you know, sometimes some edge cases convince you otherwise, but in the majority of the cases for the majority of the people, we're trying to do the best we can. And I think when you start learning the process of selling, because you have selfish needs and desires, which we all do, which is okay. But balancing that with understanding that before you learn the process of selling and fall in love with that, take the time to love the impact, love the client, and love the product. And if you can have that in place, this is where I see people being able to thrive amazingly because you can then learn that process of selling, but it's not about manipulation. It's actually about empathy. Again, you're learning to decode a language. You are speaking a language that is necessary for people to understand the value of what you're trying to provide for them. And if you're anchored with the fact that you know what you offer is so much more than what you ask in return, like just using numbers here is like, you know, the value this person will get is maybe a $1,500 saving and it's only going to cost them $500. My God, I'm going to pick up that phone and announce it from the top of my lungs to as many people as I can. They often say, you know, being a salesperson is about being a transfer of enthusiasm. And if I just tell you, Dr. Richard, be enthusiastic when you make those calls, you're like, all right, I'm going to, where am I going to find this? Well, what I'm suggesting instead of just trying, because if you're not feeling it, there's still a disconnect is when you know that the impact you'll make is going to be so substantial for the right person with an amazing product, you'll be unstoppable. And that's the love of the process that I get really excited about. Clearly, you're you're just a tad, just a tad, Jason, excited about the process. <laughs> so let's talk uh, quickly the fifth love, and then we'll we'll move on to addition. A di- can you can topic. you take a guess what you think it could be? And, well, 
we have impact. We have connecting with clients, product, process. There's a fifth one about your teammates. Close. Your family. Who's, it's the you, baby. The you. The self. The self. The self. Gotta love the self. I told you I worked in personal growth, man. <laughs> I have to go back to the self. And, you know, it's very fascinating where most of the limitations on sales will come from self-management, self-love, feeling like we're not good enough, fear of rejection. All these little things will creep up. And I'm not just talking about people that are in a hardcore sales position. Like anyone who's had any kind of anxiety asking for a raise, am I worthy? Am I deserving of this? Like there's some noise. I'm not going to wait. I'm going to wait. I'm not going to ask. I don't want to do a performance. Like we'll create these stories to just kind of tiptoe around the core activity that needs to be done to do that change. Because if you're an employee, the number one thing you can do to change your financial situation is to ask for a raise as often as you can. I mean, I knew I was relentless when I worked at Mind Valley. I think every six months I was like, I brought this much business. I think we should have a performance review and, an, uh, and a, a salary adjustments. And if I could make the case, I would get it. And that would increase my, you know, my monthly income substantially just by doing quick renegotiation. The, the ROI on the short amount of time that conversation takes and the results it can bring can be fascinating for anybody in employment. And as an entrepreneur, if it comes to raising funds, hiring the right team, making your business generate revenue, that's all going to come from you going out there, prospecting, connecting with people, selling. And if you can do that without that fear of rejection, going out there and realizing you're going to learn, you're going to grow, and you're going to do your best regardless of where you start. You're always going to be on a path to growth. That's a beautiful journey to be on. But the beauty is that when you're in sales, the cycle is usually pretty fast. Got a fear of rejection? You can make 100 phone calls in a couple of days and see where that goes. Whereas that's most activities in life take a bit more time. And I find that if you're on a path of growth, being in a sales position is going to be the ways that is going to make you grow the fastest because of that high level of social interactions that come from your activity of connecting with people. I'm curious, Jason, what did your research show about sales effectiveness based on personality styles? You know, they're introverts versus extroverts, for example. Yeah, it's so funny. I just had a conversation with that where it's like, hey, are extroverts better off when it comes to selling? Well, as an extrovert myself, I could tell you that for me, when it comes to connecting with new people, reaching out, initiating some conversation, it comes to me with a lot of ease. And I'm, I'm, I'm sure for introverted people, that sounds probably even scary. So I've seen that extroverted are very good in sales and business development making new connections, bringing people into the ecosystem. It's much less resistance to what your natural capabilities are. But what I've also found is some of the top salespeople, the ones that are doing it at the best level, closing major accounts, right? This is not just picking up the phone and booking an appointment. We're talking about meeting with the team, identifying uh, their needs, really scoping out the large deals. The introverted qualities often become more useful because you know, you're not looking at a Gordon Greco or a Jordan Belford when you're trying to say how you're going to sell things beautifully. It's not about just you talking all the time. Top salespeople always say two ears, one mouth. It's you got to listen. You got to ask powerful questions. You got to understand the needs of your client. And an introverted person, if they're working on an account, 
and they get to be focused on building that relationship, understanding their needs, that becomes quite useful in the process. So I don't discount those personality traits based on their sales affluence, aside from what will they be drawn towards? Because sales is a huge field. Oh, it certainly is. And and I'm curious about something else in your book. You talk about these different levels of emotion. There's four in particular that are involved in sales. Can we briefly touch on those? Yeah. Usually on short podcasts, I'm going to kind of put it in two buckets. I'll say like love or fear. This is really it. Like, are you showing up with love? Are you showing up with fear? But fear has a few faces. And what I do is uh, first, I actually break down the second of the four, which is actually what I call the fear pride paradox. This is what I was talking about when I said people that love the process, but don't care. It's a tricky thing because you kind of get into it thinking, I'm going to make some sales. I'm going to make something of myself. I'm going to make some money. I'll be happy. And that's kind of where you're starting off is you're trying to buy into a culture that you will find your happiness on the other side of making sales. And then you're going to be in a culture that will encourage your behavior of not caring for the transactions you make, but just bringing the money in. But it quickly downfalls into not ever being enough. And then again, there's a cost. Emotionally, you'll start feeling that there's things you need to distance yourself from because the pain of knowing that every transaction you make might not be in their best interest kind of eats a piece of your soul in the process. All right. So fear pride paradox is one of the four. Love is where we're trying to go. But for a lot of people who fear sales, it's more like a shame and guilt blockage here. That's the first layer. This is when you evade everything sales related, like the plague. Like, I don't want to pick up the phone. I don't want to make presentations. If I'm working in retail, like I'm the person that's hiding in a corner when a customer walks in. Like if you've ever been in a store and like for me, I love salespeople. I love to be, I'm very judgy though. Like I want to be served. I want a salesperson that knows how to show interest in the person and see if there's a product that matches them. And the most annoying thing is walking in a retail store and you see the person goes hiding or they're on their phone and they're like, please, I don't want this person to talk to me because you just don't want to be involved in doing any kind of sales activity. This, this to me can also look like apathy. And so whether it's because you don't want to associate with sales, maybe you have your own history of negative sales experiences that you're like, I don't want to be like them. Cultural, you know, especially in Europe, European countries, I noticed there's a lot of reluctance around sales culture. So I work, most of my clients that I work with end up happening being from Europe because America is the nation of the greatest salespeople. That's a fact. They're the best salespeople in the world. I can, I'm can. i here in Bali, Indonesia. I can see some equipment from America here because some salesperson closed some deals across the world, right? Um, but if you don't have that healthy relationship, you'll shy away from it. I call these the shame, guilt blockages. No flow happens. Then I'd say you might discover the fear pride paradox, which is now you don't care. Beyond that, there's a very interesting one that I elaborate for people especially if they're in sales, but they don't want to be labeled as salespeople. They're like, oh, I, I, don't, I don't sell. I just tell people about the product and then they get to decide if they want to buy it or not. It's like, well, that's, that's a sales process. Like, and there's like a denying of the sales or there's a way that you're going to just overload, overload the client with information so that they get to make the decision themselves. I, I call it the rational sabotage. Is like if, if Dr. Richard, you'd walk in and you'd be looking for sales training from me, I'd be like, well, I have several packages, like you could do one-on-one, but if, if that's too much, like I'll send you the details on the one-on-one, but you could do the group program where, you know, you can do it on yourself, but I'll just send you an email with all the information, with all the price points, and then you can tell me which one that you want. Okay. And then you're kind of like, 
I don't want to go make that decision. I want you to tell me what's best for me. I want to have someone lead me. Uh, the, the funny example I'll talk about, you know, if you're in a relationship and you want to go out to eat and you're like, well, uh, hey, honey, uh, do you want some, do you want to have dinner? Are you hungry? Do you want Thai food? Do you want Mexican? Do you want pizza? And it's like, nah, nah, nah. And, and we'll often laugh at those kinds of examples. But where I introduce selling with love is a different energy altogether. I'm talking about when you would go to your partner and say, like, I just had this amazing idea for 7 p.m. tonight. We're going to go out down to town to that Italian restaurant that I heard you speak about a couple weeks ago. I want you to get dressed, get fancy, and we're going to have a night out of town just for us. You're not going to start listing down all the types of food because that's not the point. You took a chance, you took a risk, and you decided to show that you are ready to see what you're about to offer is so much more than what you ask in return. The enrollment becomes beautiful. The enrollment becomes beautiful. I love the way you said that. You know, what, I, what I've enjoyed is you've taken something that is can be really taboo. You know, there's, as you said, there's people who, you know, don't like to be called salespeople. You've expressed how everything is sales, whether you're a salesperson or not. And you framed it in the context of energy and emotions and really in a different way than I've ever heard. So I'm so grateful you did that. Uh, quickly, before we close, I'd love for you to take a couple moments and share with everybody listening about your podcast. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, I host the Selling with Love podcast where I get to bring incredible people who give their perspective on whether it's running their business and how they use sales within the business. I have tons of authors of books that come and talk about specific elements of sales and sales experts that come to share. And it's so fascinating to me because I bring the people in the best of their league, whether they're neuroscientists, et cetera, that will come and study what they know and apply it to the concept of sales. And there's so many beautiful patterns that emerge, which is things around listening, having empathy, understanding the client. These are patterns that I see emerge across every episode. And it makes me excited to see that this shift is not just me talking about energy and love about sales. It's a global shift on what's happening where people are demanding more. And I love the fact that you know one of the ways I actually end my book and one of the things I get most excited about is not for training salespeople, it's actually for training buyers. And I think as we become more conscious consumers and we demand more from companies and individuals, we actually raise the bar on what we will tolerate and the market will adjust. And I'm telling you, if you demand sales with love, you're going to get salespeople that are going to embrace it too. Awesome. And you might've just done this, but as you know, I, I wrap up every episode by asking my guests one question that is your biggest helping the single most important piece of information for somebody to walk away with after hearing our conversation well i'll i'll keep poking at the bear with what i just said here which is just be more caring about how you buy how you expect to be treated when you buy like what like make decisions and ask questions in a purchase process especially if it's a big purchase about understanding like why do you if a salesperson comes to you try to see how you can use the model i teach about sales on how to buy getting an understanding like okay why do you work in sales why do you think this company is the best thing why do you think what difference do you think it makes in my life how much do you understand me and my needs what is the product? Is it the best in the marketplace? Would you refer it to your friends and family? Can we be a bit more leveled up and experience in the way that we buy so that the market responds and the companies will start to realize that, hey, we need to change the way we do our culture and sales to demand more to a better uh, client. And that way, we're going to see a lot less douchebag practices and marketing practices actually be succeeding. So uh, it's not the sales tip I want to leave you with. It's the buying tip.
I love it. I love it. Jason, tell us where people can find out more about you online, get their hands on the book, all the good stuff. That's Jason Mark Campbell. Yeah, Jason Mark Campbell, very easy to find. Mark is with his seasons on French Canadian. And the best place I love people for connecting with me is on LinkedIn. Gotta be a gotta be on LinkedIn if you're a salesperson. Um, but the key thing I always give this tip when people ask for this information is if you do find me on LinkedIn, don't just connect. There's actually a beautiful function that allows you to add a note when you connect with people on LinkedIn. Just tell me you heard me on the Daily Helping Podcast, maybe one of the biggest takeaways from what I've shared. And uh, I would love to connect and uh, give you some more access to tools to help you along your journey. Love it. And, and we will have everything that Jason talked about today, including links to his podcast and the book in the show notes at thedailyhelping.com. Well, Jason, I have loved our conversation. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. You bet. And I also want to thank each and every one of you who took time out of your day to listen to this podcast. Hope you enjoyed it. But I want you to do something. Go out there today and do something else. I'm going to I screw that up. Go out there today and do something nice for somebody else, even if you don't know who they are. And post in your social media feeds using the hashtag MyDailyHelping, because the happiest people are those that help others. 